Joan, welcome to the show. Really, really lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be super relaxed and a very kind of like typical place we start, although it's a bit strange, is if I ask you what's one of the first things that you remember, like what are some of those early memories that, that pop into your head? Riding my bicycle. Right. I used to love going out on my bicycle and I used to love sitting on the swing in the wind. There are two really favourite, favourite things from childhood that I really remember. Wow. And tell me about this bike. Well, it was not a fancy bike at all. It just, I uh, to go around where I lived in Armagh and go see my friends. And I would guess it was that just, you know, being 9, 10, 11, had a little bit of independence mm. and a little bit of freedom. Uh, so, yeah. It's I have amazing. not been in a bicycle in a long time before you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting big like Stranger Things vibes where it's just like you're cycling around the place with your mates. E.T. Yeah, E.T., exactly. <laughs> it was one of the first films I've ever seen, actually. Yeah, it was the first movie I ever cried at. Yeah. I saw it in the cinema. I don't know how old I would have been then, but I was young enough and I couldn't explain it. Yeah. But it was whenever the, the astronauts came to take him away, oh, totally. I, just, I just started crying. I remember turning around and my mum was like, what's happening to me? I was so confused, do you know what I mean? Do, do that, what, that film at the time was such a big movie that had such a big impact on everyone. Mm. And I still think if we watched it again today, we'd probably have the same emotions. Yeah. It was like E.T. and did you ever see Beaches? Beaches is one of my favourite films. Tell me. With Bette Midler and her, her and her best friend and kind of follows the journey of them growing up. Um, and Every time I cry, even more each time, even though you know wow. all the sad bits are coming, and the music's incredible. Um, but it's always those movies that make us cry that we always seem to go back to. Mm. There's something about going back to something, isn't there? Yeah. Like C.S. Lewis, obviously, you know, guy from here. He's a thing where it's like, you know, any any book that's worth reading is worth reading your whole life. Like going back to it again and again and again. Very true. And we, I don't know, we hardly do that though. There's a few things in my life that I'll go back to because I'm just like, okay, on to the next thing. On to the next thing. But I'm not really a reader, but one book that I did really love was Purpose Driven Life. Mm. I don't know if you've ever read that That's by Rick, Rick Warren. Warren. Yeah. Now that is a book you could lift time and time again yeah. at different stages in your life and just see how that really resonates with what you're going through or where you are in your journey, uh -huh. whatever. So that's. So some people love that book, some people hate that book. Yeah. The people who typically love that book are the people who have somewhere deep inside their bones a desire to have a purpose-driven life. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And I think that's what everyone's really searching for. Where does that come from in you? Um, a number of places, really. Um, I guess, you know, I came from a family where my mum was one of 14 children. My dad was one of 12. I'm an only child. So there's always oh, very much a very big, strong work ethic there. So that was always, you know, working was very much very important as I was growing up and, and certainly still is in my career. And then also, I very always had like a very strong faith, mm -hmm. and making sure that I'm, you know, trying to find and follow my purpose in life. Yeah. So that's kind of, I guess, a lot of it, the core of who I am, mm -hmm. and I kind of feel like when I do often stay stray away from that, <laughs> you don't feel like you're in a good place. So it's always trying to get back to be your core, what you feel your purpose is, and it just, for me, it's I guess it's a sense of worth and a sense of. Mm -hmm feeling I'm going in the right way because I'm not very good when I'm not very busy and just relaxing and sure. giving this crazy head of mine too much time to think. That's so. the thing. <laughs> you, you need to put that purpose drive to something, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So your work ethic from your parents, like how did that like manifest itself? Like what sort of um, like work did, did, were they a part of? So, um, oh my goodness, my mum's been a rally driver, a, oh. a, a wedding um, organiser, everything. But I remember from a very young age, she used to do an awful lot of charity work. Uh -huh. So at the age of seven, I had to give away my favourite doll to raise money for us a therapeutic, ther therapeutic swimming pool in Armagh. And I can remember like nearly holding on to it, going, no, don't give my doll away. <laughs> but from a very young age, I was always taught give away things and things don't have a big materialistic value work hard yes and be able to do those things but equally be able to give them away I think to learn that from a very young age is really really important um, and I was never a child that was you know throwing money at me to go to the shop for sweets or whatever you always had to work and get your pocket money and have value in what you're doing and I, I think that's really really important and uh, having two young girls myself today I'm still trying to instill those qualities you know when people go oh, there's money for you and go no no hold on a second now just in fact so much so my, my little girl the eldest girl when she was starting big school wanted to get a phone mm -hmm. a new phone and as you're going to have to you know earn the money just, just don't go out and buy a phone overnight so she decided to start to make wheat and bread 
Great. And she opened a company called Use Your Loaf. Ah, so class. for the last five years, she's now turned this company into something that's really doing really well and she's baking all the time. But it's taught her such brilliant skills because she's dealing with her customers. Mm. She's you know being cost effective, where to buy the flour and different things. And what she has learned from that is so much yeah. than just me going and buying her a phone overnight. Absolutely. So now, it would have been easier to go and buy the phone mm-hmm. rather than constantly driving around the country like a taxi driver well, delivering thing, you've bread. You've put at least a thousand pound of mum labour into <laughs> totally, this business. Totally, <laughs> totally. But again, it's just being back to you know what we're taught as a child. I think you should stay with you. You know, yeah. you're taught you know, good manners, work ethic, mm-hmm. all the important qualities. I think it kind of stays with you. So it's just like anybody, you know, we're always trying to check ourselves, and make sure that we're still being sure. To, true to that person absolutely so mum was very entrepreneurial by the sense of things very entrepreneurial and so was my dad um, yeah so growing up as a young child I was always taught you know you can achieve anything follow your dreams everything is possible it would have been a lot of positivity as opposed to you can't do this you can't do that um, so yeah you know a lot of you know my friends were incredibly academic mm-hmm. you know A's all the way I never got an A in school in my life but my B to me that I got meant far more than an A started to somebody else because I had to sure. work really hard you know I, you know, anything I got in school I had to work really hard for it um, and that's been the whole way through my life has been the same but it hasn't really done me any harm <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about and I totally relate to this which is why I'm digging into this area selfishly Whenever you feel like you stray from your purpose, as yes. we all do, r- on a regular basis. Yes. What does that f- feel like for you? Like, w- what's that sensation like where, you know, like your spidey sense is kind of like starts beeping at you where it's like, you have strayed from your purpose. Like, how does that kind of like materialize for it's you? It's more where you feel disengaged and uninterested. And it's more when you're in your purpose, you know you're in your purpose because you feel you're doing something that is, is really important and you feel more alive. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you stray off and go off, which I do often, you know, on Joan's ideas, Joan's craziness, whatever, that never leads to good. That's always, <laughs> always going to be not good. Um, so, you know, it's daily progress. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't certainly learn to walk the right road and stay on the right road your whole life. Sure. Um, but I guess it's just being aware of it. You know, I think, you know, we're all very different. We all have our own craziness, which is brilliant. That's why we're all made so differently. So it's it's also just going, learning to love yourself and accept yourself. You know, and I think that's a big part of growing up and life as well. Um, and just going, it's okay to be this, this is this is who I am, these are, and look at the positives of it. Mm-hmm. That Has that drive ever pushed you too far over the edge? Not yet. Not Good. yet. Not yet. Um, you know, I probably thrive on that. And I do enjoy a challenge. I do love doing things that are new. But again, if the purpose is right, you know, yeah. with Cinemagic, the organisation that I've been with now for 22 years, you know, our our ethos is very much to educate, inspire and motivate young people. So, you know, we are constantly in check that everything that we do, the purpose of everything that we do is very much aligned to our key objectives. So, you know, in the last 22 months, we have produced 22 short films of all different kinds. So, you know, you may, you may look at that and go, that's that's insane. But equally, it was crazy doing all of that, but it was equally as brilliant because all of those projects had such a really strong purpose. Mm. For example, um, this time last year, you know, I was out in a man and we made a, a very hard hitting short film on gender based violence. We worked with 20 young people from different, you know, communities from Palestine and Syria and, you know, bringing those young people together to share their stories. And when we went to make the film, we actually didn't know what the subject was going to be. Oh, It was very much drawn by the young people because sadly they had had so many situations where aunties or mummies or, you know, friends had been through very, very severe Rearranged marriages with a lot of domestic violence, mm-hmm. and they had to escape, or they, you know, or some couldn't escape. So it was the subject the young people wanted to talk about. Now, we had to be very careful how we addressed that, but you know, we worked with a great partner organisation there, and we produced a short film called Abia that went on to win Best Foreign Language Short Film. Wow. Which was fantastic. That's and great. then uh, the film was then picked up by the United Nations and screened in New York on the International Women's Week, International, yeah, um, in New York that week. So that was incredible. Wow. Because I can remember the feeling of how are we going to address this subject last year to try and 
put the project together. You know, I was working with a whole crew that I'd never worked with before who were all from Jordan, which is what we really wanted to do because we wanted the young people to be able to build a relationship mm. with crew there. You know, our lead actor didn't speak English. So there was a lot of barriers to overcome and the film was shot in Arabic. You know, so just thinking, did I ever push it too far? At one stage, I think during that process, I thought, oh, gee, this is maybe a step too far. <laughs> but yet then standing in the United Nations on International Women's Week, standing up talking about the subject, and about the film, it was like, that's why we have this in us to push ourselves a little bit far because the things that push us the furthest are always the ones that have the greatest purpose and meaning, I think. You know, when we really have to dive deep, when we just go right, we throw everything at this. Yeah. So that's been brilliant and thankfully we're going off to Jordan to make another one Class. later this year. And I don't know what the subject's going to be about. Um, that's kind of one example of that. And then earlier this year we were also out in LA and we produced a film, an environmental film. Basically we happened to be in a school in Watts t- taking a, a screenwriting class with young people and it was very apparent that right beside the school was a scrapyard. So the young people's the fumes every day were really, really strong. Wow. The kids, when they were playing sports, you know, if they fell over, the soil was very contaminated. But we met this incredible girl in the school. Her name was Heaven. And she had written this, uh, sorry, she, she, she talked about, you know, her, her story. And Mara Campbell, who was the screenwriter of the film, just went, this is where we should set the film. It's an environmental story. Her name's Heaven. It's called Heaven on Earth. Whoa. Heaven's Heaven on Earth. Class. So... Off we went in this mission to produce that film and we did that one in March and it was the most incredible experience. But again, there's always times when you're going through that journey, you're going, oh, take it on too much this time, mm. gone too far. Um, but it was brilliant. We were in a really, really marginalised area. Um, we, you know, we had a lot of crew, a lot of equipment, like anything could could have gone wrong. This this incredible Brilliant thing did happen in that um, the first day we were filming, this little guy came in and he did a big like shop and trolley full of crisps. And he was going, $2, crisps, $2, crisps. <laughs> and I said, no, any, any. Then he came in and he spoke to me in the school and he started to rap. And he kept saying, my name is Chip Tooth because his front tooth was all chipped. Nice. And he just kept rapping. And I said, you're very, very good. You know, the director's in there. Do you want to go and speak to the director? Anyhow, an hour later, I kind of had forgotten because there were that many other things yeah, going course. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I walked in and Chip Tooth is rapping in a scene in the film <laughs> and is now credited in the scene with a song, Chip Tooth, in the film, which oh, is incredible. Awesome. It turns out that wealthy guy had been like, you know, homeless for a year and a half, yeah. had seen that something was going on in the school, came in trying to sell crisps on the complete hustle, wangled his way through and is now in a film. Brilliant. Brilliant. So when you come back to what we were originally talking about, yeah, purpose, yeah, yeah. you just go, right. That is not a bad day at the office. How cool yeah. is it to be able to do things like that? That is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think even just as I was listening to you speak there, you know, you can't do anything without pushing. Like it just yeah. that's just unfortunately how it works. It's like you, it always takes effort, doesn't it? You know, and I think as well you as well, when things are meant to happen, if you start putting it out there, oh I'm gonna do a project in Jordan or I'm gonna do a project in whatever it'll be, you will be surprised. Mm-hmm that suddenly doors start to open and suddenly someone's got a connection or somebody knows somebody and you go, right, maybe this is meant to be because doors are opening. And then often in life when you try to do things and doors are closed, you kind of go, right, this is like not where I'm meant to be going. This door is closed. Yeah, don't don't try to kick that door down because if you do, (laughs) something bad's going to be behind it. Yeah. Uh, I remember one time, this has never happened to me before um, because I do travel a lot, but I was going to America one time. I was getting a flight from Belfast to London, London to LA. And as I was checking in, I just got this really, really strong feeling that something wasn't right. You know, you go through the process where you phone home, you phone everybody, mm-hmm. everybody okay? Everybody okay? Mm-hmm. So I checked in, sitting in the airport, and he, the flight was called. And this feeling was getting really, really bad. I'm not supposed to be getting on this flight. So I go back down the stairs and I said, look, is there any way I can get my f- luggage off that flight? And the girl said, no, flight's, you know, It's like a final destination yeah, moment here. Flights. This is carnage. Uh, yeah, suitcase has gone through else. and I said, look, I don't know. This doesn't even make sense, but something doesn't feel right. I don't think I can get in that flight. She was, are you nervous of flying? And I said, absolutely like, Hold on not. a second. Look at my passport. I've got one of those with the <laughs> extra pages in it. <laughs> um, anyhow, so Aerosize was amazing. And she very kindly got my bag off the suitcase. I phoned the hotel in London and said I wasn't going to be there that, that evening, connecting the next day. They didn't charge me for the room, which is also unheard Class. of. Yeah. And then we're getting, you know, going home that night, going to bed. And I, I, I will never know what 
but I wasn't mm. meant to get I just was not meant to get on the flight and I went back to the airport the next day jumped in the flight on to LA not even a problem Yeah, but there was something so strong that day that I could not not listen to my Isn't intuition interesting? really interesting I'm always curious in like the things that you are protected from that you never know yeah. about that whole kind of idea has always really fascinated me Yeah, you know it's like you could go, you go to the left or go to the right and you just don't know what path could have taken you to or what danger it even could have led you to it's you know on a normal day I've never experienced anything like that but that day it <laughs> yeah. was so strong and I remember going up and down up and down the stairs of the airport going is there something wrong with me get on this flight what is wrong but anyhow interesting yeah. can you tell us another example of when your gut has kind of overridden let's say your head or even your heart all the time all my business decisions are built built on my gut instinct. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, remember uh, whenever we were going to sell one of our cinematic feature films, that is a whole mind game. You know, no much <laughs> distributor to go with and everything. And, you know, but a number of offers, which we're very fortunate about. And then it got down to three. And the three different offers were very different. One was a very big, you know, massive distribution company another one was a smaller distribution company again with lots of experience and one was a very very small outfit but I had just a really good feeling about the, the smaller company yeah. now on paper this did not make sense mm-hmm. because everyone else had done so many sales you know international platforms all across the world but anyway nothing felt right it was circling around, around anyhow long story short I ended up going back to this the, the, the guy who had the smaller company and it was by far the best decision really yeah by far the best decision and he actually did everything he said he did we didn't get lost in the whole process and it was incredible but yes I would have to say that a lot of my decisions are not always based on 20 page strategic <laughs> business plans they're a lot more based on gut feeling class so how do you go from riding around you know a beat up bicycle in Armagh <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm romanticising your story here, you know, I'm turning it into a pitch. <laughs> How do you go from that to, you know, running Cinemagic? And like, what are the, the important dominoes that we need to know about that leads to that? Because I've sat down with loads of people before who've worked in the screen industry. And, you know, they all say something similar where they say, you know, I was born in this small part of this small country called Northern Ireland. And this specific industry has taken me all over the world. But like, what was the the path to even getting to where you are? Okay, um, so following university, I worked in BBC Northern Ireland uh-huh. for, for four or five years and I loved the buzz of television and I loved event management, I loved meeting people um, and then an opportunity came up at Cinemagic, they were looking for a press officer and I remember going for the job interview and my interview was terrible Great. because <laughs> I, you know, I was not the most articulate person on Arthouse Films, probably still I'm not, my team would probably say, <laughs> and to be absolutely right. Um, but much to my surprise I got the job and I was very thrilled and one of the big things I really wanted to do at that stage was to make things much more accessible for young people so I was really keen to try and get producers and directors and screenwriters to come and do workshops for young people and as a child I had always loved the Muppets Great. so I thought it would be great to try to get the Muppets to come to Northern Ireland (laughs) so off I went on this tangent to try to get the Muppets to come here and thankfully through a a number of very fortunate encounters um, the Muppets the Hensons very kindly agreed to send us 17 Muppets to Cinemagic in Belfast Wow! and I can remember thinking do we have insurance is there locks on the door what's going to happen if these puppets get stolen but it was a really big turning point actually for the charity because we ended up getting so much press coverage Mm. And exposure for for that, and then on the back of that, then we started to work with Ardman Animations, and we got Peter Lord over. Then we started to work with a lot of you know industry professionals, such as Dermot O'Leary came over that year. He's been involved now for twenty years. Saran Jones, Julian Fellows. So it was about really making things much more accessible for young mm-hmm. people, and really giving young people the confidence to come and be in a room with these people to mm-hmm. realise, gee, we're all absolutely the same, and these people are where they are because they've worked hard. Yeah. Nothing comes easy to anyone in life so they've had to work really hard. So if you've been in a room with someone like that could just inspire or ignite a little bit of passion in you to make you think, I could do this, well, that's what I became really, really passionate about. Um, 
so we started expanding the Cinemagic Festival and do, then we expanded to do a lot more stuff in Dublin as well. Mm-hmm. So we still do our Cinemagic Dublin Festival every year. Um, we do a lot of cross-border activities and cross-border film academies. And then uh, 14 years ago, when I had just given birth to my little girl, I decided it would be a great idea to open Cinemagic in America. Okay. Now, I would like to tell you that I had a strategic plan <laughs> and that I had sponsors <laughs> and funding and all of the things that you would common sense would tell you that you need but I didn't have any of those so (laughs) Cinemagic is this an NI founded company yes so interesting right so Cinemagic started 34 years ago wow in Northern Ireland really against the backdrop of the troubles yeah when young people from different communities could not really mix or be with each other you know and really what we wanted to create was a safe environment mm-hmm. for young people to share stories and to learn from each other so that was you know how the charity started mm-hmm. and that's why going back to what you said at the very start of it but your purpose you know 34 years on we are still very true to the purpose that Great. was set up then and whilst at that stage it was for young people from different communities in Northern Ireland now we've expanded that worldwide we are we're, we're working with young people say in the Middle East mm-hmm. in America and in two weeks time we've got 20 young people coming from Northern Ireland to LA Class. to work with young people from different communities. So it's about taking that core that core seed and then just expanding it further. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think what's really interesting about that is that the unique environment that is Northern Ireland, the lessons that you can learn in that place can be taken anywhere in the world. Absolutely. And I first experienced this kind of like the other way where I went to Rwanda for three months when I was wow. 18. And I was making documentaries, and I never really realised that the two community story is not Northern Ireland doesn't have the monopoly on it. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. And I was coming back to Northern Ireland after that experience, being like, "Whoa! Like, there's a lot of like what I've learned here that could be applied absolutely. back home, and vice versa." So it is interesting. You know, I am a big believer in that idea that inside the hyper-specific lies the universal. Yeah. And so I love, because my impression, like we don't do a lot of research for these, as you probably tell, like my impression of Cinemagic was it's this massive kind of global organization, which it is, that had a Northern Irish branch. I didn't know that it started here and it, it you know, expanded out that way. So that's yeah. super inspiring, really inspiring, because oh, we, we love Northern Ireland and we believe that that is what people from Northern Ireland can and, and should do. You absolutely, know? absolutely. And, you know, when I had that crazy idea to try and expand Cinemagic into America, as I didn't have, you know, funders or sponsors, but I just had this core belief mm. that we could take young people from Northern Ireland to different parts of America to really show them what's possible and to learn and also to really appreciate what we have here. Yeah. And I remember um, over six days between New York and L.A. doing something like 64 meetings talking to everybody and anybody that could speak to me um, about this idea. People kept going, that's great, but uh, do you have any funding? Mm. Uh, do you know Liam Neeson? And I go, no, I don't have any funding. Don't know Liam Neeson. All these crazy things kept happening. And on my last day, I came out of this meeting and I just thought, you know, I'm so tired. This is just, idea is too crazy. This is just never going to happen. How am I going to break into the educational system? How am I even going to get connections in the studios? How could this happen? And I come out of this meeting and it was really oh, bad, rainy day in LA and all I could see in the distance was Burger King. And then we're going to go walk to Burger King, going to get myself a cup of tea and we're going to sort this out. And I remember just standing there in the rain and just praying and said, God, if you've got a purpose for this, please show me because I am tired, I'm lonely, I'm scared, I don't know where I am and I, I just don't know what to do next. Mm. And honestly, just as that, this name of a school came into my head that someone had mentioned the day before but I hadn't really acted on it because there'd been so many other meetings yeah, back yeah, to back. Yeah. And I remember phoning the, the school and asking to speak to the principal. And the secretary kept going, no, you cannot speak to me. You don't have an appointment. And I kept going, please, please, I need to speak to him today. You're all standing in Burger King. Yeah, <laughs> tears running down me. And eventually he came on the phone and I said, like, I need to speak to you today. I've got an idea. I want to bring kids from Northern Ireland to your school. And he's going, I don't know who you are or where you phoned me from. And I said, I don't know where I am. And I just leaned forward and rip off the till receipt to get, to get the address of yeah, where yeah, I was. Yeah. And I said, Burger King. And he goes, Belfast. And I said, no. Well, whatever corner, whatever crazy area I was in. Anyway, this, this stranger, then this, he said, I'll come and pick you up. So this stranger pulled up 20 minutes later in a pickup truck, like in a, in a dangerous part of L.A., uh, with two Alsatians in the back 
and I'm very, very afraid of dogs. And I jumped in like, like this is such an insane story. And he said to me, do you have a gun? I said, do I look like I do? I have a black <laughs> mascara running down my face. And he said, do you know Bono? I said, no, don't know Bono. Don't know Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, before you idea. ask, I don't know him either. <laughs> I've just got this idea. <laughs> Anyways, he takes me to this school, right? And it was such a bad area. And all I remember, there was only two classrooms in the school. And like these two windows. And all I kept remember thinking was, Absolutely nobody knows where I am. Sure. There's just no common yeah, yeah, sense yeah, in this yeah, yeah. at all. I'm sitting there and these two two dogs either side of me and me normally would cross the road if I seen a poodle. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and it, it was the most incredible feeling of absolute peace. Wow. Right there and then I knew as crazy as all this was, this is where Cinemagic LA was gonna start. In that school. So I said to teacher, you know, if I can bring in producers and directors here. And he kept going, yes, I'm just saying yes to everything because this is all just so crazy. <laughs> um, and that is kind of how it started. And, and that day I'd also been to Disney and had asked to try to see if there could be a scholarship for a young person from Northern Ireland to go to Disney. And they said, oh, that, that would cost so much. And I was like, OK, I didn't realise that. I said, well, you do at the Disney Hall downtown, you know, could we do some screenings there? And they're going, oh, no, you'll never get to the guy that runs that. He's really busy. He'll never get back to you. And I said, well, what's the name? They said, Mark Murphy. I said, I get to Mark Murphy. I said, could you give me his phone number? And they, oh, no, couldn't give, it the couldn't give the phone number out. So anyway, after all this chat, I was walking out to get into a taxi and this woman who'd overheard the conversation came over and slipped Mark Murphy's phone number into what? my hand. So I phoned Mark Murphy and left this big crazy message on my phone, on his phone. <laughs> anyway, I'm back in the school with these two dogs and my phone rings and it's Mark Murphy. I'm just, I'm just picking you like, you, you, your like pickup phone is just kind of like, hello Joan, I don't know Liam Neeson, how can I help you? <laughs> I didn't at that stage. I didn't at that stage. Anyhow, um, so then, so yeah, Mark calls me back and he said, look, I'm, I've heard your whole message and I've heard your whole story. And he goes, but I will let you come here and do screenings for free. Great. If you can fill this place with kids I went absolutely I will fill it so next thing I put the phone down is right your kids are all coming we're all going to do this we're going to do all this so that's kind of how the story started um, and you know we came back a couple of months later and we had brilliant directors and producers in that school school was alive with kids came from everywhere yeah. and we, when we did the screenings in the Disney Hall the most amazing thing happened because you know you know, in the cinema you've got the screen and then you've got the flat area and then mm -hmm. you've got the seats mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the kids that were in the auditorium had never been to the cinema before. And they all got out of their seats and lay in their bellies oh, so on the screen. Sweet. And the guy who had picked me up in the pickup truck stood and told the story by getting the phone call. Wow. And that is how we started. Now, 14 years on, we work with, you know, all of the studios right across LA. Like the, the 20 young people that are coming out with us in two weeks' time, the schedule I have is insane. Yeah. Um, really brilliant. And then we do a big... Um, a big gala event for 500 people every year in Santa Monica mm -hmm. and the young kids from Northern Ireland get to perform at that and everything so just so many incredible things have happened we've now gone on to produce as I said a number of short films in LA uh, but none of that started with a strategic business plan it started all with a gut feeling and getting <laughs> to Burger King crying right, that's brilliant that's a, that's a yeah Roscoe what do you have to say for yourself after hearing all that <laughs> I need to up my game. I need to up my game in order to get out there. Like, uh, try and get more contacts and just get out there and stuff. Like, Do you know, it, it's like anything in life. You got to hustle. Yeah. Right? You got to push. You know, and um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it started. And then you know, we started to work with a lot more schools. And again, whenever we started to do that, people were like, "You cannot put young people from different schools on a bus." Mm. I'm going to hold on a second now. <laughs> From Belfast, we are putting kids from different <laughs> communities on a bus and yeah. doing cinematic events. Yeah. If we can do that in Belfast, we can do that in America. Exactly. So now we have a bus which usually has kids from Belfast, LA, mm -hmm. Boston, all together, and they have the best incredible week. Class. And that's what it's about, just giving young people opportunities to yeah. see what's possible and for themselves just to ignite that passion and to see that you know the world isn't this big, crazy place too mm -hmm. far. You, you can create this right here yourself. Mm-hmm. So, something that I've been learning a lot recently, even through the show, I'm like, I've been really, really inspired recently by a guy. Okay, his name's Ryan, and he he's part of a manufacturing company up in Limavady. Just uh -huh. one of these unsung Northern Irish companies that are just killing it. Fantastic. And they make they make medical chairs, uh -huh. right? So I'm I, I'm here as an outsider, and he wouldn't mind me saying this. 
And I'm like, what a boring business. They make chairs. Oh, my goodness. I meet Ryan. Well, you'll you step, just go out of the window like your sponsorship. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's all done. It's all done. <laughs> and and uh, I go up and I see what they're doing. And it's one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Because they are developing their people and, and creating a culture there mm-hmm. that is literally changing lives. Yeah. So screen and film industry is kind of like the mechanism that your organization has chosen just to go into. What is the the reason behind it? Or like, what is the change that you're trying to bring about? Because in some ways, someone like you, you could have gone into any industry, <laughs> you know, and it, it didn't really matter what it was. It could have been film, it could have been medical chairs, it could have been podcasts, and it could have been, you know, Burger Kings. And you, you, could, you would find a way to bring about some sort of change in people's lives. So what's the thing behind the thing? That makes any sense. <laughs> Helping people to see you their purpose okay. and what they can do you know during lockdown we did again a lot of films and a lot of those films are based on mental health mm-hmm. um, you know and I was so fortunate fortunate to meet so many young people but also through that process you know I remember meeting two incredibly talented amazing young girls both 18 years of age but neither of them could read or write mm-hmm. they had slipped through the education system yeah. um, but exceptionally artistic exceptionally brilliant that just needed to find what their thing was and I think if we can help direct people to find who they are and what their, their skills are that can really ignite someone's life mm-hmm. you know because it's so easy to, to go down a path where you should do this for your degree you should do this because that's what your parents did or that's because that's the safe option yeah. that doesn't mean you're going to be happy <laughs> you know so it's trying to help or even safe. <laughs> or safe. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so it's trying to help people unlock what it is they, they really, really love. Well, um, unlocking and purpose. Unlocking purpose. Say. And, you know, especially, you know, through COVID, there, there was so much loneliness mm-hmm. and so many people just feeling really lost and isolated. So being able to connect like-minded people mm-hmm. together to go, okay, I'm just not thinking like this way because of who I am, because all my other friends think differently. Mm-hmm. We think like this because we're creative or because we want to do something that can bring about a change mm-hmm. or can tell a story that we feel is really, really important. So I think that's a big purpose of Cinemagic is to make everyone feel you are so valued and mm-hmm. you are so important. And it's so easy to lose, lose your voice if you're not academic. You know, it's so easy just to take a step back. Yeah. And then when you take a step back, you lose your confidence. You can go down, you know, it's very easy to go down a path of antisocial behaviour mm-hmm. or, you know, just making the wrong decisions just because you haven't had just someone help steer you and put you in that right path. Yeah. Um, and how do you know that you are not the best podcast interviewer, screenwriter, director, costume designer if you've never been given an opportunity to try? 100%. And you know what? It's brilliant as well to try all these things and go, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one thing I would say, you know, we meet so many young people and they go, oh, I'm 18 and haven't got it figured out. And I go, don't worry about it. You've got your whole life to figure. That's 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 life. That's the journey. That's the fun bit. Yeah. You know, trying these crazy adventures if you're that kind of personality inclined. Mm-hmm. Um, to just try things and it's okay to mm-hmm. to find out who you are by making mistakes. Yeah. Who? Sorry. How many years have you been with Cinemagic? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. 22. Okay. So. You have a pretty big sample size of seeing lots of different types of young people go through lots of different yes. types of programs in lots of different places all over the world. Is there a trait or a characteristic that you can identify in the guys and gals who have really been able to have a go at it? That willingness to learn. You know, whenever we meet people, it's not that I'm going to, you're going to be an amazing director or a cinematographer. It's just someone who really wants to learn. And you can see very early on if someone's got a work ethic and they're willing to keep trying. That is the best quality anybody can have. You know, because you you can learn the rest. Mm. You can be taught the rest. You can be helped, shaped and moulded. But if you don't have that, be able to get up and go wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. That's what you really need. Like, oh. I always laugh about Michael Lennox. You know, Michael won't mind me telling this story. Dairy Girls. Dairy Girls, yeah. director mm-hmm. of Dairy Girls. But Michael came into Cinemagic and work experience. And at that stage, he just said, I just love watching films. That's what he wanted to do. Great. <laughs> and I said to him, have you ever used a camera? There's a camera over there. Soon enough, he, he learned how to use the camera. And Dermot O'Leary was coming over to Cinemagic. So I said, Michael, you, you learn how to use the camera and we'll interview Dermot. And we, we, we're kind of made up as we go along, sure. along to be honest. 
But that got Michael really excited in film and, you know, started learning about cameras and things. You know, now directing Dairy Girls, went on to win a BAFTA, be nominated for an Oscar. You know, again, just that little opportunity to try something different. And yeah. we have many, many, many stories like that of young people who just had that opportunity to try something. Or as they've been, been in an environment with like-minded people, mm-hmm. they find someone they could collaborate with and go off and try new things. How did you meet Liam Neeson? I assume such a you funny have. Story, such a funny story. So, yes, yeah, so whilst I'd been in America and everyone kept saying to me, how did you meet Liam? How did you meet Liam? And I kept thinking, jeepers, is this, is this like everywhere I go? <laughs> so I had written a number of letters to try to, to, to get to Liam. Um, and as with this guy from one of the universities out there and he said to me, oh, I met you a year and a half ago and you still haven't met Liam. <laughs> Honestly. And I had just been up the Hollywood strip and I had all this like, you know, oh, plastic, dear. you know, Oscar signs of plastic, all the stuff that we would use you know, for photo calls. Sure. So not very elegant, but this big plastic bag of, of stuff. And just as he said that to me, we were sitting in a coffee shop outside. Um, he goes, it's very hard to take you seriously if you still haven't met him. Just as that, <laughs> Liam walked in. No he way! In, I promise you, he was there to do the press for the eighteen. Well, I got up with my lovely fancy bag oh, with all the plastic stuff from the Hollywood side and everything, and walked over. And Liam just was instantly. What I know exactly who you are. I know about Cinemagic. Whoa. Forgetting all the letters. What can I do to help? Sit down. Unbelievable. And that's exactly what I heard. Me the other guy. Hi. <laughs> um, and that was the start of Liam getting involved with Cinemagic. And then I came home, and two days later, his office called and. Liam wanted to give Cinemagic one of the special screenings of The Chronicles of Narnia Fantastic. and he flew here to meet all the young people and he's been incredible ever since but I did go on a journey where everywhere I went people would ask me do you know him and then he just <laughs> happened to walk in at the right place at the right time otherwise that the Hollywood <laughs> I was going to get thrown up on my shoulder so again it's just one of those moments where ah. right place right time it's kind of hard it's kind of, it's kind of hard like to wrap your head around that and like I, I'll just be honest like I'm experiencing like a lot of tension in my own life where on one hand there's that real intense hustle make it happen you're the driver you have to you know everyone has to work hard in life and if you don't you nothing will be handed to you da, da, da. with this other kind of like seemingly opposite side of the coin which is if it's written for you it'll happen Yeah. how do you ever try to merge those two I don't know together? but there's also that thing don't give up yeah. You know, don't give up. And I'm also a firm believer, you know, if what's, you know, if you're all excited about doing something and then suddenly the course of wind change and you're off over here, that's okay too. Yeah. And I think you only really learn that with experience. Hmm. I think you only learn that by being tossed around a few times ago. Oh, <laughs> um, but when you, when, as you get older, I think you just realize, right, okay, that's where I thought I was heading, but it's okay. I'm mm-hmm. going this direction because that, that will get me to a better place. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a mixture of what you're saying about doing the hustle mm-hmm. and uh, being okay with, if, if I don't get it straight away, and is it written for me, is it not? But it will be, if it's mm. meant for you, but you might have to go a different way to get it. Okay, it's interesting, yeah, that I'm remembering something that a, a guy said to me in this room one time, his name's James Leckie. He, um, on, on, on a real manufacturing kick today for some reason. Yeah. He, um, he created a, a company called Leckie Design, if I remember correctly, and it was a company that made specialised equipment for kids with learning disability uh-huh. and he went on he sold it and he's, he's done fabulous but his favourite quote if I remember was the the harder I work the luckier I get yeah. and he talks about how hard work increases the surface area of your luck so the more you hustle I'm just like externally yeah. processing right now the more you like hustle and work hard and drive things the more opportunities you open up yourself Absolutely. for kind of like these serendipity moments to take place these random and things true. and Liam maybe Liam would not Liam probably would have like pushed you away if it wasn't for the letters that he'd read or the things he'd heard about Cinemagic so your story is a nice kind of combination of those two things so now you've answered my question thank you very much we can all go home now well, I will say as Walt Disney once said <laughs> yeah. this whole idea only started with a crazy little mouse Mm. You think about that. You think about Disneyland. You think about all of the Walt Disney. That's very true. His idea just started with a little mouse. Wow. You've been to the Oscars? <laughs> Michael Lennox took me to the Oscar nominees lunch. Wow. As his plus mm. one. And that was incredible. Um, I don't think m- me sitting quiet for a very long time at the Oscars would have worked <laughs> very well. <laughs> so he made the right choice and invited me to Oscar nominees lunch, which was incredible. 
because Very you have to speak cool. to everybody. Yeah. And everyone's in the room and everyone's in great spirits and you can just oh, I just, I just the room. accidentally hit you with a do you know Liam Neeson question and now you're going to walk out of this room <laughs> and whoever organises the Oscars will be getting a coffee in Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> Joan, I've known all about you. <laughs> no, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> Any... Um, before we kind of start to wrap up, is there any like mad story that <laughs> my life's mad? It is. Which one do you but, want? But is, <laughs> is there any story that like if if you walk out of here today and people who know you are listening is like I can't believe he didn't ask you about that flipping thing? Well, it depends who's listening. We'll <laughs> 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 force everyone to listen. Don't worry. <laughs> oh my goodness! I... Let me repackage it up. What's the craziest moment of your journey so far? Nearly every time I leave the house, something crazy happens. Um, you know what? I believe you. <laughs> there's been so many brilliant moments of things happen. You just go, that's like you know, three, well, three weeks ago was at the coronation. So that yeah. was incredible. Yeah. You know, that's not a crazy tour, but it was you know, really is, brilliant. It is crazy. Um, Mate, don't forget, you're, you're just a girl who's driving around on the beat up bike. I in love Armand. this. I love this back <laughs> to the bike. I love that back to the bike. Um, you know, I think I've just been very fortunate in my life whether it's a mixture of crazy or whatever and the people that I've met along the way mm-hmm. who've been absolutely brilliant and inspirational and have helped shape me who I am mm-hmm. um, and then there's just been those moments where I've just taken crazy risks and they've led to these amazing adventures and funnily you know back to the Jordan film you know what was I doing oh, we girls my man a bicycle making a film <laughs> in the Middle East in Arabic like that's you know but that would just happen to be because I met the Ar- the ambassador the Irish ambassador to Jordan for coffee Great. in Dublin. I hadn't even an idea what I was going to talk to him but I actually said to him I have no idea what we're going to talk <laughs> Hello, about. Hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> and we did, we did, we it's hot weather. Did we have a coffee and a, and a biscuit? <laughs> and the time I left I'd you know, come up with this crazy plan that Cinemagic would do a, a project in the Middle East. Class. And I can remember just thinking what was I even thinking about? Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be one of the best things we've ever done. You know, um, and then over the years Cinemagic has delivered a number of projects like our back in the day Soccer Magic Football matches. Do you ever remember those in the Odyssey? No, tell me more. So, again, we were trying to raise money for the charity and I said, let's organise celebrity football matches. Class. I still do not know the rules of football. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we uh, sold the Odyssey out twice. We wow. had, um, you know, the first year we had like teams from Emmerdale, Hollyoaks, uh-huh. Corner Street, all the, all the different soaps. And it was brilliant and raised a lot of money for the charity and we went on to win best event management in the UK come on and I still don't know the rules of football (laughs) we did the second year and then the third year we decided to do a project called Music Magic Mm -hmm. where we took over Customised Square we were one of the first times there were ever a music festival in Customised Square class and we had all these different music master classes and then we put together a band and then the band got to perform oh class with other bands so yes that was uh, yeah but that was like Years, that's 18 years ago now, which was crazy. And then there's a whole Roscoe ago, yeah. <laughs> you know. But even like whenever we, we, we t- took on to do uh, our first feature film, A Christmas Star, you know, for me, I wanted to produce the first ever Northern Irish and Irish children's Christmas movie mm. and something that could you would watch with your family and it would be timeless. Um, and we wanted to give trainees an opportunity to work on the film. At that stage, everyone said you can't bring trainees onto a film. Um, basically, for six, seven months, everybody I went to with the idea said, no, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. And I kept saying, just because it hasn't been done before, doesn't mean it can't. Doesn't mean it can't. Um, so after a lot of tears, a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> but then just keep going, keep going. Um, you know, we produced the film. Again... Liam in that film Pierce was in Pierce Brosnan was in the film the film had the first ever simultaneous broadcast ever with BBC Northern Ireland and Ulster Television wow and like on Christmas Day Epic. for a number of years on Christmas Day Brilliant. so then it was picked up by Netflix it still goes out every Christmas in fact we were laughing this year it was on TV at the end of September <laughs> okay. on Channel 5 the call the Christmas movie start you know so that at the time was crazy and I remember again being in LA and where, where are the Oscars held we should do a premiere at the Chinese Theatre in LA. Nice. Now, insane when you of think about it. it. Where, where is it? Where is it? You know, how is this actually going to happen? And I remember having a meeting with the lady who was the CEO of, of the theatre. And I said, you know, I'd really love to come do a premiere of a film I'm producing. And she said, oh, great. 
what's it about? Christmas. She's right, can you tell me where? And I said, Christmas. I didn't even have a script. And she said, well, what calf do you have? And I said, I don't have any. And she said, well, what's your budget? I said, I don't have any money raised to get either. But I will be back here in 12 months and I will premiere it here. And will you let me? And she said, this is never going to happen. I said, but if it did, would you let me? And she said, well, yes. So I was right, shake my hand. I said, 12 months. Oh, I love it. Lock her in. And 12 months today, we came back and we premiered a Christmas star in the Chinese theatre in Hollywood. And not only that, um, the place was packed out, yeah. but we also had 40 young Gillian Dugan dancers from Northern Ireland come, <laughs> who those kids had never been on a plane before Unreal. because they had been extras you know, they'd, in the dancing scenes in the film. They got to come, they got to perform, and they danced in the Chinese theatre. Class. So yeah, that's it, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you definitely, like, the Oscars is small time in comparison <laughs> to that. But I remember <laughs> a part of that journey at one stage, you know, just when everything wasn't actually going well together, I was sitting on a boat at the barge. We were doing a cinematic event, and I was just thinking, right, a bit enough, too much this time. How are we, how are we actually going to get this over the line? And this guy came along, and he was really smiley and chatty, and he goes, hello, Scooby Doo. <laughs> Sorry, it was the guy that did the voice for Scooby Doo had ah. come to Cinemagic as a guest and was there to do a workshop. And he goes to me, "You look like you need cheered up." So he took my phone and he changed my voice message to, you know, "Joan can't answer the phone." She's out catching ghosts. This whole Scooby Doo <laughs> message, and that was eight years ago. And that message is still on my phone because I always Love remember it, the day yeah. that I was at the bottom of the boat. And I thought I could not <laughs> see where I was going to get to the next move. And there comes Scooby-Doo. And, <laughs> and here you are, Fear of Dogs as well. It's it's, dogs. Just, it's a lovely sandwich of, of themes and metaphors here. This is uh, lovely. Uh, so if you ever phone me and you get that in my answer machine, it is the true voice of Scooby-Doo. That's incredible. The voice of Scooby-Doo. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Daniel, anything from you? Uh, yeah, I have a question. Uh, so do you think for a career and all that of film and everything like that, being a director, producer, actor, whatever it is, do you think that it would be best for someone like at my age to be going to university? Oh, that's a zinger. I think the best thing you can do is get as much experience as you absolutely can. I would be out there making all those films that you're passionate about with like-minded people and you don't need a load of money to do it. You just need to find ways to be the most creative you can with people who are thinking and liking the same thing as yourself. You know, if you want to go to university, because if you feel that would help you develop more in your craft in terms of learning technical. But to me, the number one thing is as much practical as you could absolutely make. Hear that, Mum? I don't need to go to university. Uh, it's not what she said. It's not what she said. Joan was incredibly. She danced the perfect dance there. And that is not what she said. It's the first time I've ever danced the perfect dance. Thank you very much. It's the best compliment of that all day. Have you seen my dance and you wouldn't say that? Um, who's your favourite Muppet? Oh, it's got to be Miss Piggy. Come on. <laughs> Miss Piggy. I've got a signed Miss Piggy picture in my office. I love that. Did Coming you see them at the Coronation concert? So sweet. So brilliant. Yeah. So, <laughs> Miss, so come nice. on. And Paddington's right up there as well. Different Muppet, but different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- different thing. I there feel like um, it's quite a hard question for you. We ask this question to everyone we sit down with. You've probably met a lot of them. If there was anyone from Northern Ireland that you could take out for a coffee, dead or alive... You take them anywhere. Who would you take? Where would you take them and why? Um, right. You could have briefed me a little bit on this. From Northern Ireland, there's been so many incredible, incredible people from Northern Ireland. Do you know one person who I really love speaking to would be Keith Getty? Okay. So Keith is a friend of mine, but he's from Lisburn. Okay. Um, has written some incredible, incredible songs which have gone on to be global songs which are sang nearly in every church around the world his story about how he wrote in Christ alone and sold the the publishing to it and it's gone on to be be worldwide they're here on the 17th of June and going to their concert in the Odyssey which will be incredible and I would have a coffee with Keith in the North Coast because that's where he loves I find him really inspirational to talk to and again someone from here who's gone on to achieve massive things internationally mm. and would have a really incredible perspective mm-hmm. on life, on what is success, what's not success mm-hmm. and and maintaining that hard work ethic. Great. And also Liam would be up there as well. Yeah. Somebody who's continuously working very hard. 
this is so out of place. This is disrupting the whole flow of Good. the beautiful end of the, the you know worry. the episode that we were going for. Money. Talk to me about money. So Send Magic is a non-profit is it a charity is yes. it a, okay and so you guys are like selling feature films so obviously there's like money involved in that like that, I assume that gets pumped back in or like Absolutely. how's all this working yes yeah, so Cinemagic is a registered charity okay. so everything we do we've got to raise money for all of our educational outreach and projects within schools um, and then with the feature film model it's you know we're training young people then anything that we do make from those films goes right back into Cinemagic awesome. to next training project yeah. so as I said we've done 22 short films this year so those have been like covering every subject you can think of from homelessness, mental health, mm-hmm. environmental issues, as I said, you know. So that gives us opportunities to be able to create those projects with, which then manifest and trains other young people. And it is that ripple effect. Yeah. So and then we get invested right back in and helps us to grow and keep delivering the work that we so truly believe in. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it's very, it's a very interesting idea to me. I'm not in this world at all. It's a very interesting idea to me that uh, a nonprofit can make money and then bring that back in. Back in. Like that, that I think the rip, ripple was the word that you used. I think that's a really yeah. interesting concept. Um, and, you know, and the, that's what we're about. We're about, you know, giving young people these opportunities. But to do that, you need to be able to mm-hmm. finance them. So, you know, it's like anything, you know, a charity's got to run like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always about finding the most cost-effective ways to deliver things. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Roscoe, Pettis, you ready? Final question. Um, so yeah, if you can go back in a time machine, yes, back to uh, a version of yourself before you started off this whole cinematic thing, before you joined <laughs> and all, what would you say to yourself? Be brave sooner. Oh, only because I heard someone else say that before. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear someone else say that before. That's very good, but it's very true. It's very true. But you know, we all have this like. <laughs> because we're all afraid of who we are we don't know who we are so if you're a little bit different then you know you, you, you're not that brave yeah. so young so if we could all be a little bit braver sooner is what I would say fantastic Joan thank you so much for your time absolute pleasure really really delightful and learned a lot thank you oh thank you so much it's been a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you thank nice. you it's been nice thanks Roscoe appreciate thank you, you. alright that's it that's a wrap there you go that was lovely <laughs>